I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And And this this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to kick off a sequence. And I hope I'm not premature in saying that. We're going to look at scene. Yeah, we want to do a deep exploration in scene. But before we look at specific scenes. Yeah, we thought we would take a little time to sort of describe our own thinking about it. Yeah, and, and we come from, you know, different mediums, mm-hmm. not not entirely, but, you know, kind somewhat. of somewhat locationally. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, so we'll talk about all of that, blah, blah, blah. Right. Scene, mm-hmm. an important unit in yes. the story. Yes. But first, what are you working on? Well, right now I'm actually working on getting everything else done that I need to get done. But as soon as I get everything else done that I need to get done... I am actually really excited about doing a video series on voting. So, and actually, you made a video last week. Yeah. So, you know, all, on- you know, here's my shout out to Samantha B because <laughs> she did a really good job of sort of saying it's not really enough to say go out and vote because um, things I didn't really understand, and it and it's not necessarily always nefarious. It's it's things like. Voter rolls are purged when a voter hasn't shown up, when mm-hmm. um, someone has moved and they get a they haven't forwarded their information or they haven't re-registered. There's a lot of non-nefarious reasons, but there's also a lot of, well, let's just face it, reasons that make us feel yeah, very concerned. Yes, very <laughs> concerned about why those particular roles are being purged in that particular way. Mm-hmm. So I've just been doing research and looking at the differences state to state our our franchise looks different depending on where you are and so i'm Much excited like our healthcare yes <laughs> so i'm very excited to start uh, a conversation about voting and the tools available for folks to not just register but confirm that they're registered and to make sure they know where they can get information when it's time to go to the polls if they're in a state that is not supporting no excuse uh, mail-in ballots. And, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm excited about that series. very fun. And then your other video that you made, can you talk about that for a minute? About voting? You you just, I guess you just made a video about voting. So it sort of was your kickoff video. Yeah. So I I made a a video about voting for our daily dose. And Samantha B watched it and said. (laughs) No, it was direct feedback from my friend, Samantha B. (laughs) She said. No, it was. And I don't think you do just say vote, but I, but anyway, I I liked your, I liked your video and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I appreciate that. 52 seconds too. I, I think there is something to be said about how. Simply saying go do something is not really a, a fair statement because, you know, the obstacles, and we'll talk about obstacles, yeah. but the obstacles are not, it's not a level obstacle field. Yeah. No, and I think that's great. <laughs> but I will just say that because film is a multi-layered medium that I think, you know, the combination of imagery and messaging mm. says something more than, hey, just go vote. Right. So anyway. One hopes. Well, <laughs> there you go. What are you working exciting. on? I just want to say it's really exciting that you're making these short videos and that um, you kind of like stayed up all night making a video. And it was cool. That is kind of my bad. It was cool because I got up in the morning thinking like, okay, what the heck happened? And, mm-hmm. and then there it was. So that was very, very exciting. Cool. Yeah. So, um... I should probably just let you stay up all night again and do it, but it sounds brutal. Brutal. 
Anyway, I am. Um, I have put myself in your hands yes. as a writing coach, and um, it's been really fun. So you instructed me to be in my um, expansion mode. I think I mm-hmm. talked about this last time. Maybe, yeah. Um, it's so long ago. I know, like, like a week ago week, was what? so what? long ago. We are not those people who are like, we're so organized. We're doing like seven in an afternoon. We're like, <laughs> no, those- we're, I don't want to do seven in an afternoon though, because imagine if we had like seven weeks out and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, now we're sheltering no, no. in place. And then it was like, oh, now, you know, we're having up national uprising. No, I totally, <laughs> we can't do that. I completely agree. But it's, 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 we yeah. are about as real time as we can be. Yeah. Because we like to push those things. Yes. So, um, Yeah. But that's the beauty of deadlines. Absolutely. Deadlines, you guys, our listeners, and you mean a lot to us, and we see you in little dots on a map. Oh my gosh, and it's amazing. And you're our deadline. Hello, Japan. Woohoo! Hello, Australia. Hello, gosh, all uh, places in Africa. (laughs) Places we want to (laughs) move. I know. And um, also in states. Hello, Indiana. Hello, New York, California, Don't say Washington. New York, like, of course. We love well, you, I New just, York. We just happen to know people. I mean, yeah. like, what I think is, like, you look and you're like, Here, here's our say, traffic pattern. One of our listeners visited a free class and, and, and from Indiana, and I was like, Indiana? And I just, something about the way I said it, I think, kind of bothered her because it was, like, Indiana. You know, <laughs> like, well, we've had people come from Bali, and we've had people come from Italy, but... Yeah, no, I'm just always surprised when there's countries or states where people we don't like right, are, intimately right. know are are here. And so I just want to say welcome to everybody. We're so excited. Yeah. Or, you know, welcome back if you've been with us for a while. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, I am thrilled to be in my expansion stage of just of noticing, thinking about what I what I care about, what I want to write about, and letting everything feed me. Mm-hmm. around that and getting ready to like deep dive into a project. So exciting. Right. And I just actually want to like maybe take a minute if you're okay sure. with this. Talking about the fact that you're a very focused person. Like you you get you're very tenacious. You're like I need to do this thing and so I'm going to do it to the nth degree. And so I think it's why we have children. It is why we have children. <laughs> However, so just to say, like, if you are a person who's like, oh my gosh, I can't think of what to write about and I have to write about something and I get stuck there. I mean, I think there's always a point in in creative process. Um, The the truth is, like, you cannot be a creator without creating the space to not create and to just (laughs) notice and to pay attention. Right. And so um, that's what we're doing with you right now is we're, we're saying, okay, let's take a little time. And then we're going to talk on Thursday and start, you know, grouping ideas and seeing if there are things that light your fire. And if there aren't, my gosh, only a week, it would be surprising right. if there no, was something that you were me like. that I may be in this for more than a week. Yeah. But I mean, just could you imagine though, if we were like, okay, you're going to take on this possibly multi-year project. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you have to choose from whatever came up in this seven days. You know, Anna Napolitano, who wrote Dear Edward, um, said that so she wrote her at least her first novel maybe a maybe first couple I don't remember if this is her third or what but um just kind of seat of the pants right and that was how she wrote and that was her process and then like revising was like so intense and challenging and whatever and her husband finally said okay for your next book you need to take a year before you write 
a year researching and planning and note taking. And, um, and so she did. And, and the book has sort of two parallel sections that alternate. One is this flight. Right. And the other is the aftermath of the flight. So you're on the flight the whole time, but then you're also dealing with the aftermath. Well, it's, it's not really a spoiler to say it, the plane goes down and there's one survivor, Edward. And so the, the chapters follow the flight before mm-hmm. it goes down and then Edward as he, you know, comes to and is dealing with being the sole survivor of this flight. Anyway, so she actually did all this research, like random different things, and and then had these people on the flight, like someone was like a financier, and so you know she, right. she did research that kind of developed these alternate characters and other things. So, but anyway, he made her take a year. Yeah, I wish. I don't don't get too excited. About There's that. no way I would ever be able to slow you down for well, a year. Here's what I could do. Okay. I could be like, right now I'm starting two projects. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I'm going to take a few weeks to brainstorm, and then I'm going to like do a NaNoWriMo thing, and I'm going to whatever. And then another one. I could be working on another book. True. That's going to start in a year. You can hear our dog snoring in the background. He's <laughs> not a sound Aww. effect. Anyway, thoughts. Absolutely. And I think it's that would tremendous. That way I could do I, it. I, of course, started thinking about all the ways that giving yourself that time, the way that people learn. Mm-hmm is by attaching it to things they already know. So giving yourself the time to create a big bank of things that are only connected initially by your own interest (laughs) could create a reservoir of opportunity that's just massive. So, And um, I do think that, that fiction often is this kind of collision of things that don't don't initially belong together mm-hmm. so that you know they collide in the narrative but they they they're sort of born of the author's various writings and thinkings and then they collide in the narrative and and there's a lot of energy in that absolutely yeah so yeah so i'd be willing to do one book in a year that i spend a year thinking about well i'm writing another book and well, that is generous and revising of you. another that book. is a complete risk taking <laughs> voice on your part it's not that but anyway okay i'm also excited to be working on something new because i've been revising for a really long time yeah yeah so all right let's talk about scene shall we Let's and so let's let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. Well, one of the things is you know we so I teach craft where we look at usually excerpts of scenes mm-hmm. and write right generative writing class and we look at all sorts of in, levels of craft and those are not what we're going to talk about when we talk about scene per se. We're not going to look at all the elements of craft that you could look at no. in a scene. And that a little bit stems from the fact that we were sort of planning this podcast earlier in the day and talking about what we were interested in and the different pieces we were hoping to achieve. And the truth is my approach to the world is probably as diametrically opposed to your approach when it comes to how to break down something, how to think about it, how to communicate it uh, as possible could be. So um, you are a gatherer. You like to like collect a variety of things, you have this very high-level, broad view, and we were sort of talking about this, right? So when you were talking about, well, why don't you explain your well, initial okay, so, well, As we realized our differences, because you're more linear, you want to look at a singular aspect and one by one, and then maybe build to something where mm-hmm. we're looking at the collective. And, and so in realizing that I sort of look at like a hundred things about this passage or this scene, and I realized that I have actually develop techniques in the way that I teach to say, okay, I'm going to talk a whole bunch about this. And those then become 
jumping off points. They become possibilities. So for the writer, who's going to then immediately turn and write. And so you might play with this element of craft that I point out, you know, mm. oh, in this line, the author's doing this. You could try that. You could do. You know, and I listed different things. And then, you know, I think people probably let go of, I mean, ideally sort of all of it and they dive in and they write and somehow whatever they need filters in. And I think part of that is because they they tune into their deepest sort of reader self and our reader selves are are so curious and so fearless and so invested in story and we're always thinking what's going to happen and why did they do that and we're you know we're we're thinking in story terms absolutely mm-hmm. we're not thinking like oh this is about joy like we're thinking why did she do that mm-hmm. right and so then when you get to the page with your reader self you're 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 doing your best writing so anyway so i kind of have developed a way that i can go blah here's a whole whole bunch of stuff and then let them like breathe and drop down and let it go and go into creativity mode. Mm-hmm. But I really like bringing up everything. So this series, I think, is going to be either the best of both of our approaches <laughs> or a an exciting experiment <laughs> that may not have the that outcome may not we were be the best of both of our approaches. <laughs> experiment. So it's going to be an adventure, people. Yes. Are you ready for a summer adventure? That is socially distanced. But and, not emotionally distanced. And very safe. I feel like I say that almost risky. every podcast, but not emotionally distanced. <laughs> yes. So you asked me kind of a little while ago to make a list of the things that I thought went into making a scene. And yeah. I realized, like, some of the stuff that I wrote... Um, well, maybe you should share the list. Okay. So number one, a reason to be there in the first place. So a scene always has a story purpose. Two, the character in a scene has a goal of some kind. They want something. They want they something. They need something. Right. And because of their desire to have a goal, and because every scene will also have an not, obstacle. Not to have a goal. Sorry. Every character in the scene will have a goal, and because that goal will be thwarted by other characters or circumstances, the scene itself will have a shape. So it'll have an arc, beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, when we've completed the arc as a reader, uh, the story will have moved forward somehow. So either the plot is pushed forward or the consequences are raised um, or the stakes are raised. Uh, so there's there's a way in which there's new information. There's always new information in a scene, to my mind. The action you say here needs to be meaningful. Right. And so if we see a character doing something that we expect them to do, the outcome should be different or the context should be different. Right, so we're not just seeing someone do something again and again. Yeah, you don't need a lot of scenes to kind of cue your reader into character and their, you know, approach to life. Um, Okay, and so six, when we've completed the arc of the scene, we will know something about our character, however small, that we didn't know before. That's part of, like, the And that just, yeah, and that just is, is, I guess, a subset of the other one. And so seven, while dialogue isn't required, scene does require an acute focus on significant detail and action. So these are the clues that uh, your reader will use uh, to get kind of an understanding from what is there. Dialogue doesn't have to be there, um, although it is certainly a key tool. And Elizabeth Elizabeth Bowen has this quote, uh, speech is what people do to each other. So dialogue mm-hmm. really is just an, a subset of action that characters take in pursuit of an obstacle or the pursuit of a desire. 
Right. Or to become an obstacle. And, and it's interesting that we, you know, we talk about these things. I think there's a lot, as I mentioned before, that we do from a place of intuition, having consumed story our entire lives. So when we talk about some of this stuff, you might not know in your first draft, but by the time you've gotten to your third draft, you really should have a good handle on why each scene is there and how it's work, how, how it's functioning. I also think, you know, this came up a lot in the workshop I taught this last weekend about revision, that people, you know, as writers, we're sitting, you know, at our desk or in the olden days in a cafe, right, or whatever, but we're just sitting thinking in our head. And so very often we'll end up like, sitting our character down somewhere and having them think or um and so you know there were these scenes that we were discussing um my students and I were you know they'd have something really meaningful be happening and then and then they'd sort of descend into the character's head and go to backstory or go to you know like some thought process or musing or whatever and and I in each case I was like but if you stay with that scene and you give us what the character does Mm-hmm. It's much more powerful. <clears throat> it actually brings up for us all the emotions mm-hmm. of the interior thought, you know, which isn't to say there isn't great room for interiority and all of that, but but to kind of move, there's a tendency for people to move away from scene. They get, even if they establish the time and the place and the character in the moment, all of a sudden they go into thought, they go into reverie. And that isn't actually a no no unless uh, there's no real good reason for that to happen. So, in the context of a scene, if someone's going into that reverie, it should be in response to the scene. And right? and often pulling us back to the scene, again, can do a lot of powerful work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. trusting the scene, trusting that the that sensate detail of scene and action and the unfolding in time of characters who are in that kind of um, sort of cauldron that you're talking about, however subtle or whatever, mm-hmm. of, you know, desire and obstacle, um, sticking with small human action even um, is can be so much more powerful than just sliding into interiority or summary. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm a fan of scene. Yes, we are both fans. <laughs> We've seen it all. And I will say that as a writer, as a, you know, when I'm drafting, I very often will you know, fall into abstraction and I will very often fall into generalization. Those things are easier for my brain to go to. They're safer. They're easier. There's something about especially completely inventing a scene. Well, again, separating out the actions of writing initially, drafting, and revising. So separating those out in a clear way so that we, we are not suggesting that people start always with a clear understanding of those things as they're writing the scene. Sometimes you don't know why you're writing that scene and it shows up and then you have an opportunity to mine what you've created to figure out the answers. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes, you know, hacking away some of that interiority and like, here's a question I ask myself, what would someone who is thinking slash feeling what my character is thinking slash feeling at length here do? Mm-hmm. Like what? What small gesture or action or fiddly thing or whatever? And it's it's actually amazing to think about like the metaphors. We, you shared a scene with me today. Mm-hmm. We were looking at these different scenes, and someone squeezing someone else's hand, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no context for it, but it's a callback for the, for the reader who has context, which I just didn't because yeah. of where it fell in the yeah. book. Um, 
for the reader who has context, a gesture well-timed can bring up so much. So you don't have to have those long, laborious backstory moments because we already know this person has suffered this thing. And when this person says this thing and this other person squeezes their hand, that that old wound and everything with it comes right into yeah. that moment. Without having to be like a three-page, you know, kind of flashback slash musing. Right. Yeah. Scene is amazing and powerful, and we encourage you. And so are you. Don't forget it. that. That's right. So. It is time for Steal, steal this. this. Amateur Poets Borrow. Professional Poets Steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Golly, I'm going to let you go first on this one. <laughs> Um, well, I just finished Brandon Taylor's Real Life. And, you know, he's a hell of a writer. It's a very powerful. It's interesting because I was then reading up about him and he is sort of considers himself more of a short story writer, but he wanted to debut with his novel and he actually has a collection forthcoming. And there's a way in which it, I mean, it absolutely carried me along as a novel. And I, and I read it, you know, and I actually listened to some of it. I think I mentioned that last time, and it was really engaging, you know, some of the scenes with multiple people in dialogue and all that, very engaging. The ending to me felt like a short story. And what's interesting is it felt in some ways more complex than what I might expect from a novel, like, and more like real life, right? Mm -hmm. More like, here's this moment. And I mean, a lot happens. It is very climactic in many ways, but the climaxes refuse to sort of resolve in an easy way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yet the journey was so amazing. I mean, just the, oh, I mean, painful, painful, but also beautiful. And you're just, I don't know. And it, it all takes place over a weekend. And, um, you know, I think he's a really a brilliant young writer to keep an eye out for. Yes. But um, so what am I, what do I, I, I don't know. I think I just, I want to think about kind of that, 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 that other kind of ending that we see more often in short story where we see that we've kind of experienced this moment and it's, and it's kind of come to, to something complicated, like where we have a deeper understanding of humanity, mm -hmm. but not a simpler one. <clears throat> And, um, and that sometimes, like, sometimes the, the pleasure of kind of a neat wrap-up, for example, Writers and Lovers, which I also really loved, Lily King loved it. It has such a, like, a, it's almost like, uh, like um, in, uh, in adaptation, um, uh, the, the adaptation of Susan Orlean's essay or whatever it was into, or book mm -hmm. about the orchid orchids, leaf. right? Yeah. And into a movie and they kind of talk and they talk about in the film, they talk about, oh, it's all the end, you know, endings, what matters. And then they do this super dramatic ending. And it almost felt like that with Lily Taylor's book. Like, like, and I actually loved it also. Turns out I, I have a, a range of tastes in what I love, but it's, but it was like that kind of wrap up ending where everything sort of came together at mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. And actually, I mean, in some ways, Brandon Taylor's had elements of that because lots of stuff did happen and it, it was very vital but it left it just left me so this i've talked about this moment so many times but there's that uta hagen tells the story of um playing nora in the in this in the seagull not in the seagull in um, the doll a dollhouse ibsen's a dollhouse mm. on broadway you know and whenever that was would have been and that and that if she 
if at the end, as, as this little bird, you know, as, he, as her husband called her, is, is leaving her husband and her children, right, to go be on her own, if she sort of threw her head back and picked up her suitcase and marched out, that she would get this standing ovation. But if she dropped into the emotion of that moment, of like what it really meant to be leaving everything she knew, you know, including her children, because she had to, right, for her sort of survival. And what it really meant is to just stay with that and to just pick up the suitcase and in that depth of that emotion, just walk out the door, that there would be silence for like, you know, a full minute in a packed Broadway theater. And I feel like he kind of went that route. Mm-hmm. You know, like lots of stuff happened and then it was just like, okay, you're just a, you're a human being in this next moment after all that, right? Anyway, so that, that's mine. How do I go after that? <laughs> You're a human being in this next moment. Okay, well, I was watching Star Trek. You know, I'm just like, what do I go with after that? Well, you're okay. Whatever you want to go with. Uh, I'm going to borrow from our dog, Bandit. Who is, a, who is a heart-filled... Like me, has neck rolls. <laughs> Um, I've actually been coming across a lot of different things and I, you know, going through the, you gave me such a treat today with the different scenes from all the different books that we sort of were discussing and thinking about. And I have to say, James Baldwin's Sunny's Sunny's Blues. Blues again, and, you know, I've read it before and there's just such a... Gosh, I don't even know what the word for it is. It's so clean. It's mm-hmm. so clean. And just, the, and again, talk about significant detail. And, and, you know, he has this moment where he's reflecting on the laughter of the boys outside at a school, right? Mm-hmm. And how much that means. Right. And then how that laughter, it isn't arbitrary and it circles back to what's happening to him and in his life in that moment. And it says so much about the world and about, uh, you know, trying to understand his brother and trying to understand these different pieces. It was just so clean and riveting. And I think that like it's been so long since I've really, uh, I, that I've really let myself kind of go in mm. in a particular way mm-hmm. so it was really really wonderful to feel so swept up and away so what do I want to steal I think I want to steal that attention I think you can feel his attention on the world in his scenes and um yes that's what we're talking about with you right now but I do think it shows up on the page yeah. in a well, profound this, way. This kind of connects to what we were talking about in this episode about scene, because, you know, we get the a, a little bit of the backstory. We know some stuff about what's going on with the brother, but that, you know, but that scene is, is very early on. It's kind of the first full scene, I think. And, um, and you're, it's more that, that sort of John Gardner exercise of like, what is a person who's in this situation going to hear, see, notice? How are they going to react to those details of the present scene? Mm-hmm. That that the the backstory informs the present so powerfully that if you can bring that attention to the present scene, you're going to bring that backstory in through 
action and perspective. Yeah. And detail. Yeah. All right. Well, this week, go out and think about scene and write an important new scene in your life. No pressure. (laughs) 